Well, I don't know if you've been to New York City since the, the uh, incident at 9-11, but where the World Trade Center was, where the Twin Towers were, there are these, there's a monument now. I mean, if you haven't seen it, you should look it up. It's these two holes. I mean, it's basically the, the footprint of where the buildings used to be. And uh, they're dark, and it's dark stone. Normally, in memorials of sadness, it's used dark stones. Uh, memorials of excitement are normally brighter, lighter stones. So this is a dark stone. It goes down into this hole. You really can't see the bottom. It's so black, you really can't kind of know where it ends. And there's this water that pours down the sides constantly. So the image is that and it's, it's in some ways a really good one, right? That we don't forget. We don't forget the people that lost their lives. We don't forget what happened there. It's sort of a hole that's never filled. It's sort of a wound that's never healed. And I, I think that's important that we remember that day. We remember what happened there. But there's also a part of that metaphor that bothers me a little bit. Right? If you go to a doctor with a wound that won't heal, is that good or bad? It's very bad. It's actually bad. The idea that we have a wound that can never heal. You hold, especially if you go your whole life and you pick up a lot of holes and then they can't heal. That's, that's difficult. See, we, we're in a culture where we're in a culture where we're, we're working for justice. We're, we're working towards, uh, towards, towards figuring out and making things better. And I think a lot of those conversations are so good and so important. But we are also in a culture that doesn't know what to do with forgiveness. There's no way to heal the wounds. There's no way to fix the problem. So we're naming how bad something is and how bad something historically is. But if we don't have any tools to heal, it's like we have a wound that won't heal. It's like we have a wound that will always remain open. And that is not a healthy place to be. We live in a society crying out for justice, but, but we need healing to move forward. Here's how Desmond Tutu, who, who fought for healing and forgiveness and reconciliation in South Africa, here's how he put it. He said, without forgiveness, there is no future. Or here's how Jesus said it in Luke 17, starting in verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You must forgive him. And what does Jesus say at the beginning of that? Watch yourself. If you have to forgive somebody seven times a day, who do you think you should be watching? That person. Right? Watch that jerk that keeps messing with you. But what Jesus says is watch yourself. Because if you don't learn how to forgive, then it's a wound that won't be open and Jesus knows that that will not be good for you. And that's not an easy message. In fact, if you go on in that scripture, what the disciples say is, Lord, increase our faith. In other words, they say, Lord, we don't have the faith. And that's where you get the mustard seed saying, Faith the size of a mustard seed. They don't have the faith to forgive like Jesus is calling them to. And this is where we are. We have a lot of trouble forgiving. We have a lot of trouble receiving forgiveness. Like if we did something bad, we beat ourselves up about it for like ever. If somebody wounds us, we beat them up forever. Even if we don't do it actually, we do it in our mind. And man, we are terrible at forgiving ourselves, aren't we? I'm harder on myself than I am on anybody else. 
Last week, I worked really hard. Last week, I worked really hard to define biblical forgiveness. At its heart, forgiveness is about debt. It's about forgiving what you are owed. Somebody hurts you. Somebody steals from you. Sometimes you physically are owed something, right? You wrecked my car. You owe me a new car. You stole this much money from me. You owe me this much money. But a lot of times, the O is a lot more simple and a lot harder to sort of name. You know what? You know what that person owes me is an apology. You know what that person owes me? They owe me acknowledgement that they hurt me. I hear this from how many of you said this. I just want them to know how much they hurt me, right? I'm owed that. I'm owed an apology. I'm owed recognition. I'm owed a promise that they'll never do that to anybody else again. I'm owed my right to be hurt and to be angry. And what forgiveness really is, when it comes down to it, is forgiving it. It's cost is is yielding it. To say, I know I'm owed an apology, but I don't need it anymore. You can, have, you can have it. To forgive is to let the debt go. I don't need to be angry anymore. You see, that, that's not easy. I'm not trying to pretend like it's easy. I was helped a lot in thinking about this by a book by a guy named Timothy Keller called Forgive. Why should I and how can I? And if, if this is an issue topic that's of interest to you, I really highly recommend the book. He is really great at differentiating two different layers or parts of forgiveness. One is internal forgiveness, which is where I in my heart say, I yield. I yield my right to be angry. I yield my right to demand an apology. And, and part of what I want to say to you is to do that part of it, you don't need the other person. Like, well, don't they have to apologize? Well, not for internal forgiveness. You actually don't need them to apologize. You can do that all on your own. I can just yield. Now, the second layer, in a perfect world, forgiveness involves reconciliation. And that involves apology and repentance. So for me to make a relationship right, I actually need the other person to be involved in the process. But to forgive, I don't necessarily have to have them involved. I can have attitudinal or internal and I can also have reconciliation or external forgiveness. I think it's also kind of important to distinguish what forgiveness is not. Here's, here's a few things I'm not saying forgiveness or these things. Excusing. Forgiveness is not saying it's okay that it happened. No, forgiveness says it is not okay that it happened and I forgive anyway. It's not denying. It's not saying ah, it wasn't that bad. No, forgiveness says I know it was bad and I'm yielding the cost of that anyway. It's not suspended judgment. Everybody, it's not real forgiveness if you forgive them, but next time you're going to give it to them. You know what I mean? If you're, like, if you're like just storing up your anger in the bank to take it out later, that's not true forgiveness either. It's not weaponized mercy. It's not saying, I forgive so I'm better than you, so now you look really bad. Right? It's not abandoned justice. It doesn't, if I forgive you, it doesn't mean I'm also not going to call the police or my lawyer. Right? I, I'm just not going to carry that wound in my heart. But I may have to follow through on justice to be sure you don't do that to anybody else. Forgiveness uh, is not about forgiving and forgetting. I dealt with this last week. The Bible never says to forgive and forget. Okay? We, when you say that, that is something that will enable abusers to keep abusing you and abusing you. I may forgive you, but I don't trust you yet. Okay? I'm not going to put myself in a position to forgive you again. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be a little careful, but I'm going to give up that wound. Forgiveness is also not an emotion. How many of you, you, you like, I, I know I should forgive, but I just can't? 
Yeah, sometimes forgiving happens up here, and then it takes a little while to seep down here. Okay, sometimes the, the emotion lags behind. You, have, you, you give the forgiveness, and then you, sometimes the heart catches up later, especially on deep wounds like betrayals and on old wounds. On old wounds, those hang on in a different kind of way. Forgiveness also doesn't happen all at once. Writer Dan Hamilton says, okay, if we think about it as paying a debt, sometimes you have to make down payments. Okay? Sometimes you're paying off the debt a little at a time, a little at a time, and over time you get to where you can yield your heart to that. Now that may seem like a very high bar for forgiveness, but, but let's as Christians remember where this view of forgiveness comes from. We are, we are, we are to be forgiving because Christ forgave us. Okay, we didn't live with God as Lord. We did, did what was wrong. We didn't do what was right. And the payment of that sin is death. We are owing Christ. We owe God death. That's the punishment. And yet, Christ takes on that debt for us. He's the one that pays the debt. Okay, so, so He takes it on. So always a cost to be paid in forgiveness. And Jesus did it for us. And now we just prayed... We just prayed, and we pray every week, forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And sometimes you say trespasses, and sometimes you say debt. It's all the same thing. That means every week you are praying, Lord, forgive me the way I forgive other people. For how many of you is that kind of a dangerous prayer? How many for you, man, I hope God doesn't actually grade the way I do. Okay? We need to learn to be people of forgiveness. And I know it's hard. There's always a cost to forgive. But for the sake of your souls, to live life to the fullest, you've got to learn to forgive. This is one area where I think for a lot of people, they don't forgive. They've got these unhealing wounds. They lead to bitterness. They lead to infection. And then they wonder why God seems so distant. It's a big hindrance to people, to, to, to you experience God if you don't learn to forgive. And I'm telling you, it's a great opportunity to experience God if you can learn to forgive. But how do you actually do it? How do you actually forgive? And I, I, I really, I worked on this sermon and I was trying to like get some kind of really cool outline and, and how we're going to do this. I couldn't. Like, I just couldn't quite figure it out. So all I've got is a list of some hints, I think some biblical hints for how you actually can forgive. I'm just going to give them to you in a list. Number one, if forgiveness is taking on the cost of the debt, what is the debt? Name it. Name what the person did to you. Name what you think you owed. And then you can actually... How many of you take on debt, but you don't actually look at how much the debt is? That'd be ridiculous. Yet for forgiveness, a lot of times... We have a debt that we think we're owed. We never name it. That we'll never get paid and we can never get healed. This is especially true when the person that we really need to forgive has passed away. Some of us are wounded by somebody who we can never forgive, never reconcile with because they're not here anymore. So what do you got to do? You have to name it. Name what's the cost. Name. That person owes me apology. That person really, I wish they knew how much they hurt me. Name it. Write it down. Here's one of the great advice that my mom has given me a few times. Uh, she says, write a letter to the person. Don't send it. <laughs> okay? Don't send the letter. But write the letter. Explaining how hurt you were. Explaining what happened. 
explaining what you think the person owes you, just naming it gives you the ability to start looking at it as, okay, this is what it will cost me. This is what I will have to yield if I'm going to forgive. Number two, try to have sympathy for the other person. Man, I know this is hard, uh, and I've been wounded by people, so I really know that sympathy is so hard for that person that hurts you. But if you can get there, it can really help in this process. So here's a, here's a key question I've asked about many people. What happened to you that you think this is okay? Like, who hurt you so bad that what you did to me is you think is appropriate and acceptable? Because somewhere in their past, they were probably really wounded too. They learned that from somewhere. And if you can have a little bit of an ounce of compassion for that person who hurt you that modeled this behavior can give you a little bit of, a little bit of leverage. Number three, you'll know you're starting to actually forgive someone when you can wish well for that person. Right? When you can start to say, I hope that person succeeds. I hope they thrive. I hope they have good relationships. I hope they do. I hope, I hope they live their life to the full. When you can wish well of a person, that's forgiveness. When you're still like, right? Like, I hope they fail. I hope they fall. I hope this doesn't work. When you wish poorly on someone, that's a sign that your heart still needs to work through some of that. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. Praying for yourself that God would help you to yield this, this thing that you're holding on to. Praying for the other person. Okay, when you can pray. I have a friend who, when somebody, he was at a church and somebody got really mad in a meeting and he, he said, hey, uh, so-and-so, can you pray for us? Seems like we're at a really tense moment in the meeting. Can you go ahead and pray that we would relax? And, like, everybody bowed their head. And then there was like a long silence as that person had to get repaired to let loose to be able to pray. Sometimes praying for the other person. Be careful how you relate to the person that harmed you. Okay, that's number five. Be careful how you relate to them. Don't avoid them. How many of you have done that? You're like, I just, I just got to not talk to that person. And maybe for your own health and mental health, and you got to get a little distance. I totally get that. But like seeing them in the grocery store and leaving because you don't want to talk to them, I don't think that's healthy. I don't think screaming at them is healthy either. So you got to find how you relate. you got to try to be humble. Number six, seek reconciliation where you can. Okay, where it's helpful. But forgiveness everywhere. Like, I, again, in a perfect world, I think it would be great if we, could, if we could forgive and then we could heal the relationship and we can be close again. It's not always possible. And sometimes going and talking to the person is just going to make it worse. Sometimes telling them you forgive them is going to make it worse. But if you can get to that point, seek it. Tenderly seek it. Now, what about the other direction? What if you're the one that did the wronging? Okay, we, we can talk about giving forgiveness. What about when you need to receive forgiveness? A couple suggestions here. The Bible lays out a clear pattern for this. It's called confession and repentance. Okay, Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. That, that two-part process, I think, is so valuable. Okay, confess it. Name it. You've got to name your sins. So I, I, I'm glad that Protestants don't do like a confession booth. I don't want to hear like all your dirty laundry, okay? But there is something really healthy about naming your sins, naming your transgressions that we miss out in the Reformed tradition, I think. 
Repentance means not saying I'm sorry. Repentance means turning away. How does the proverb say it? Forsake them. Confess them and forsake your ways. Jesus says go and sin no more. Okay, so to, to repent isn't to say I'm sorry. To repent is to relent. To repent is to go the opposite direction for what you're doing and change your behavior. Beware of, number two, beware of counterfeit repentance. Tim Keller talks on this. I think it's really pretty smart. He said, well, a lot of times when we repent, we're not really repenting. He said, there's two ways we do this. Blame shifting and self-pity. Blame shifting looks like this. I'm really sorry, but you're the one that did it. Okay? I wouldn't have had an affair if you were a better spouse. The affair is your fault, not mine. Or we justify it. I'm not greedy, I'm thrifty. I'm not mean, I tell it how it is. Right? So we, we take the sin and we just name it as actually it's a good thing. Or your accuser is exaggerating. You're making too big a deal out of this. You recognize some of these behaviors? The other side of it is self-pity. Self-pity in, in repentance looks like I, uh, I don't actually care about the sin. I really care about what's happening to me. Okay? So Keller gives an uh, example of a husband who's cruel to his wife. He, he was counseling this couple. He was really mean and vo- verbally abusive to his wife. And then eventually she would get to the point where she's like, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. They would go to counseling. He would clean up his act. She would decide she's going to stay with him. About three months later, once everything had calmed down, he would start up again doing exactly the same thing. They would go through this cycle. He wasn't sorry for his behavior. He was sorry he got caught. He was sorry for the consequences of his behavior. He wasn't actually sorry for his behavior. Everybody see the difference? True repentance, you apologize for the behavior. So make sure when you repent, it's for real. The enemy of repentance and confession, by the way, is time. I'll just tell you this. The longer you wait, the harder it is. How many of you have this? this, You have this. You have a person that you should have just said you were sorry because it was little. Now it's 10 years later and you're like, well, I, I can't go back for that one. And so you're just awkward around this person for like eternity because you, I know it's hard to say you're sorry. Doing it early is always better. Doing it early is always better. And then this is a big one. A lot of people, they apologize, but they don't ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. It's more important to ask for forgiveness and say you're sorry. Okay, if I say you're sorry, I'm not asking you for forgiveness. If I ask for forgiveness, it implies I'm sorry. Ask for forgiveness. This is especially helpful, by the way, when you're not totally sorry. Okay? I'm like, I've had to, I have had as a pastor, I'm just going to name it, I may get in trouble for this later uh, when I use this on you. But uh, sometimes people get upset by something I said or something I did, and I'll apologize, but I'm actually not sorry that I did that. And I won't take back what I said. And I'm too honest, I'm too honest to, to take back something I actually am not sorry I said. But I can often apologize for something in there. And it looks a lot like this. I'm sorry that hurt you. I'm sorry that hurt you. I'm sorry that this bothered you. I'm sorry this happened and this is upsetting you. And I'm genuine. Okay, I'm not taking back what I said. But I am sorry that it hurt you. And a lot of times I have found as a pastor, I, I, just, I just say forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me is like magic words. Okay? It, it asks somebody, can you forgive me? Can we move past this? It gives purpose and the opportunity. 
Okay, so you're not just asking them to accept your apology. You're saying, can we move past this? Say, forgive me. Remember, as you're doing this, you can also forgive yourself without the other person forgiving you. You can't control how they act, but you can control what you do. Then isn't forgiving yourself often the hardest part? Like even if somebody else forgives me, I, 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 I don't have to deal. And we're like this with God too, by the way. God has totally forgiven you of all your wrongdoing. But how many of us are still trying to earn God's love, still trying to make amends for something we did in the past? We haven't fully accepted, fully realized the forgiveness of God that is already ours. And if you want to know how you are with that, I suggest you pay attention to how you talk to yourself. How do you talk to yourself? Okay? If you're calling yourself stupid, okay, if you say that you're not enough, if a lot of your self-talk is about your own doubts and questions about who you are, that is offensive to God because God died for you. God loved you that much. You ought to treat yourself with some respect. Okay? For some, for, for, here's a good rule of thumb. If you wouldn't say it to a child that you love, like your actual child, your grandchild, you wouldn't say it to their face, don't say it about yourself in your head. Okay? Don't say it about yourself in your head. Maybe you did something really bad. You failed to do something and it turned out really bad. Or you felt like you were never enough. The Christian faith is about, are you enough? Is, is Jesus enough? Like, of course I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not righteous enough. But Jesus was enough. Do you believe that or do you not believe that? If you believe that and you're forgiven, then act like it. And if you actually believe it, and you actually believe you are forgiven and loved like that, then forgiving somebody who said something bad to you shouldn't be that big a deal. Let me close with a little story. That shows how this is not easy, but it's so important. Do you know the story of Corrie Ten Boom? She was a woman who was living in the Netherlands. Uh, after Germans took over her area, uh, she started helping with her family, helping smuggle Jews out of the country, hiding them in her home and then smuggling them out. It's estimated that her family saved about 800 people before finally somebody in town, somebody she knew, told the, uh, the Gestapo what she was doing and she was arrested and she and her family were thrown into a concentration camp as well. Her sister actually died in the camp. After the war, Corey Ten Boom was, did some writing. She was going around preaching the gospel in places, including a couple gigs in Germany. In 1947, she was speaking at a meeting when a man walked up to her afterwards in the back. And she had just been preaching about the amazing grace of God. She, she was like, isn't it so amazing that all my sins for God are dumped in the bottom of the ocean? Like they're gone, they're over, they're out of here. And there's, at the end, there's a man standing in the back, and he clearly doesn't recognize her, but she immediately knows he's one of the guards from the camp. Like, as, as he's walking up to clearly talk to her, she remembers her sister naked, skin attached to her bones because she had no muscle on her. She remembers her sister walking past this guard in that condition right, a little bit before she died in that camp. Here's the man walking up to her. And she is immediately furious, right? She is immediately back in the camps. Her mind is right there. How many of you can do that with your drama? You're like, bam, there. It's not even a movie. I am in the moment. And he extends her hand and he, he says, a fine message, Fraulein. How good is it that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea? 
And she has this moment of crisis, like, there's no way I can forgive this guy. There is no way I can shake his hand. Then the man began to tell her that he was a guard. He like confessed to her, not knowing who she, all her story. That he had been a guard. He said he had done all these cruel things, but that God had forgiven him. And he had, had tried to learn how to accept that forgiveness. And at that moment, Ten Boom, who said that she couldn't forgive him, knew that Jesus had said way too much about forgiveness. And, and I love this phrase. Listen to this. She said... She had seen the people that couldn't forgive after the war. And she said, they're bitter, in their bitterness, they remained invalids. In other words, she had seen people who couldn't forgive and how their life was frozen in time and they couldn't get past the trauma because they couldn't forgive. So she prayed. She said, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. That's, I, I can do that much. And so she did. She took her hand and said, I forgive you, brother. And in that moment, she said, listen to this. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. That's the power of forgiveness. Not easy. It always costs. It's a lot of work. Your heart lags behind. Um, but, but. In those moments of forgiveness, you can understand God's love more intensely than you maybe have ever experienced before. So what I hope is that you can experience God's love and then you can learn how to forgive. But as you learn how to forgive, you keep getting thrown back into what God already forgave you of. Right? This is how you can become a a loving, forgiving person is that these two can work. It can work both ways. God's love can teach you how to forgive, but God's but your forgiveness can also teach you how God forgave you. And you can experience God in amazing, amazing ways. What did she say? I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. That's my prayer for you.